Back here on LA Gridiron Weekly, we got a treat for you. My guy that's been playing with the silver and black going into his third season. I swear, dude just got to the league yesterday. Already in year number three, one of the hardest hitting safeties in all of the NFL. He's Jonathan Abram, the safety for the Las Vegas Raiders. And Jonathan, like I said, man, I feel like I just saw you yesterday just walking into the league, and now you're already in year three, man. How quickly does this thing go by? Man, you said it's best yourself, man. It seems like I just got here. Uh, it flies by. I remember talking to some of the guys, you know, going on year eight, year seven. They was like, don't blink. And I was like, what you mean? They'd be like, man, before you know it, man, you'll be on year 10. And <laughs> those guys were not lying. Time flies by in this league. You know, one of the big things now that as you get into these more years into the NFL, you start to get that experience you've become a leader on this football team fairly quickly because the way that you play, your outspokenness, you always had those leadership qualities. I remember that about you back at Mississippi State. But what do you think uh, from when you got to the league to where you are now? What's been, I think, the thing that surprised you most? Um, The thing that surprised me most is that's a tough one. I mean, I, I kind of wasn't really caught off guard. You know, I've been right. surrounded by, I've been blessed to be surrounded by a lot of guys, you know, who've been here. Um, I'm part of a, a very good um, group of guys that played at Mississippi State, you know, and they kind of pretty much keep me informed from guys like Fletcher Cox, um, Preston Smith, mm-hmm. um, Darius Slager. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. So, you know, those guys kind of helped prep me for, you know, what was to come, you know, knowing what to expect, you know. And so that really has – that insight alone has really helped me a lot because, I mean, I'm not one of those guys, you know, if you tell me that it's a snake under that under that towel, I'm not going to go look under that towel. <laughs> We're talking with Las Vegas Raiders safety Jonathan Abram here on L.A. Gridiron Weekly on 710 ESPN. And, Jonathan, look, the Raiders last year finished 8-8. Eight and eight, Not a winning record, but not a losing record. You definitely saw a team that was – uh, had a great start, but sort of a finish that you would kind of want to forget about. What did you learn most about last year? That it's not about how you start. It's all about how you finish. You said it best. You know, we started out really, really hot, um, but it just wasn't enough, you know. And, you know, I know none of the guys on my team were satisfied with last year. None of the coaching staff were. Um, so I know we all are trying to push, you know, to get over that hump, you know, to get a winning record, to get in the playoffs and have a chance to compete to go win a, a world title. Now, competing to win a world title, I know people out here in Los Angeles, we know the name Gus Bradley. He was a former defensive coordinator here with the Chargers, but now he's the new defensive coordinator of the Las Vegas Raiders. Tell me how Coach Bradley is kind of getting acclimated to you guys and what's been the biggest thing that you take away from him being there so far? I love Coach Gus, um, but I mean, he's doing everything he can to possibly, you know, trying to get to know everybody, you know, extending himself out, you know, after our you know, making sure that he's there for us, you know, doing whatever that we need so we can be ready to go, um, you know, from, you know, I've been around pretty much all off season. I worked out, I stayed in Vegas. So I've been around, I had the chance to to be with him and to get a chance to jumpstart on the playbook and learning, you know, what's to come. And, you know, he, those guys are, you know, it's so crazy. They are, they've been, been planning for the first game of the season, you know, ways that we're going to, you know, to go out there and attack and try to stop Lamar and um, the Ravens. So just being being able to see that and seeing him connect. And Gus is a he's a different kind of guy. You know, I've grown up and I've been fortunate to be around a lot of great coaches. Yeah. And one thing I will say about Gus as a person, he has the ability to poke people. And when I say that, 
you know, just talking to him, he finds a way to, with his words just to say certain things and they just kind of hit you and you're like, damn. And it makes you think about certain things. It makes you think about your past life. It makes you think about the future. It makes you think about pretty much everything that goes on from your day-to-day life. You know, kind of on the long, uh, along the lines of that, Jonathan, what excites you about this defense, though? I know he's going to bring some new wrinkles. Oh Obviously, a lot of people talk about the cover three aspect of, of his roots and into that scheme, that defense. But what excites you about what you guys are able to do defensively? It's track record. Mm-hmm. It's track record. Just going back, looking at from the guys, you know, if you buy into this system, the sky's the limit. You know, from looking at guys from Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, um, Jalen Ramsey down in Jacksonville. But, you know, you know, we end up fortunate enough to pick up one of those guys from that defense, Yannick who had an amazing season on the guts, almost, um, he had double-digit sacks. So just seeing the system, seeing, you know, and everywhere he's pretty much been, has been the top 10 defense. So for me, you know, that's the goal, you know, is to win, have a really play great defense. Because, you know, when you go back last year and you look at our offense, we had a really pretty good offense. Um, you know, they scored a lot of points, you know, in a lot of games where, we, you know, we just didn't help those guys out. So, you know. And for that reason, you know, they kind of put us on the back burner as, the, you know, we were kind of the Achilles heel as a defense. So, you know, he's looking forward to turning that around, making sure that we're not viewed that way, making sure that we're viewed as a defense is going to do our part. Offense got to do their part. Because last year, I think it was more so offense is going to do their part. Can the defense hold up? Safety, Jonathan Abram of the Las Vegas Raiders joining LA Gridiron Weekly here on 17 ESPN. We're going to get to what Jonathan's got going on today, what he uh, has going on with his foundation. I can't wait to hear all about that. But just, Jonathan, now you're going on your third trip around the AFC West and going against Patrick Mahomes. You know, obviously the quarterback situation is going to be in Denver, uh, whether it's a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, Drew Locke. But then you think about the Los Angeles Chargers. And their quarterback, you saw him last year in Justin Herbert. How has it been competing in this AFC West so far? What's the, what's the thing that you take away from this division? Oh, my God, that every week you have to come ready to play. Um, no game is going to be an easy one. You know, we played the Chargers. We had a one-on-one record with them, one-on-one with the Chiefs as well. Um, we were fortunate enough to um, sweep the Broncos. But, man, you have to come out every week in the division ready to compete because nobody – I mean, nobody takes a game off. <laughs> Last one before we get to what you're doing off the field, man. I'm so excited for what you're doing there. But how have you grown from year one now going into year three, Jonathan? Uh, I mean, for me, this is almost like year two. Um, you know, I didn't have the the chance to play my first year, you know, due to injury, you know, which kind of sucked. You know, getting to stay around, you know, seeing things, you know, how watching them. You know, the day-to-day changes throughout the season and, you know, getting to go through my full first season last year, um, you know, missing two games due to, you know, a COVID situation and then one injury. Um, but, man, just growth, you know, being able to just process, you know, what to expect, you know, and just learning how to put together a schedule and just structure my life out, you know, because you have to have structure. You have to have things already set up because if not, man, um, you kind of set yourself up for failure. Well, that being said, you've been able to not only structure your life, but what you've been able to structure off the field in terms of setting up your foundation, but also the football camp happening today in, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Tell me how you finally got the uh, the camp going. I know last year was a tough year for a lot of NFL players due to COVID and not having camps. But what's so special about today and being able to have this camp in your uh, in near your hometown? Uh, for me, I mean, the biggest thing was growing up, you know, 
I never really had a chance to meet a lot of pro athletes. Um, I ended up getting to go to one camp as a kid. Um, Adelius Thomas, you know, a lot of people may not know who that is. He ended up playing at US Sounds. He played for the Patriots a few years. Um, world champ. And so, you know, going to his camp and, you know, not to bash anybody, but even though he was, it was a pro camp where, you know, we supposed to got to meet the pros, you know, it was only one pro there and I didn't even get to meet him. And, you know, and that kind of sucked for me because that was something that I kind of look forward to. So, you know, now that I have the ability to be able to give back. So for me, I want to be able to just make sure all kids from the whole Mississippi area have the chance to interact with pros. So I have almost 10 to 15 guys coming through here today. Um, we're going to spend time with these kids. And, you know, I'm just super grateful to have those guys, you know, some of my friends, some of my teammates, some of my previous teammates. Um, and just being able to, you know, let the kids know that, you know, hey, if you put your mind to it, you believe and you do all the right things, you know, handle your business in school, or on the field and off the field, the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want. Mm. Tell me more about Jonathan's journey for better. Um, so my foundation, Jonathan's journey for better, I mean, pretty much, just, you know, the name kind of speaks for itself. You know, just trying to impact, you know, all ages of life. You know, I'm big on school. So, you know, we try to do a lot of programs um, with like coding for high school students, um, Spanish and sign language for the younger kids. I'm just trying to reach out and just give back, man. Just teaching kids, you know, that education is the way. You know, this football dream may not be for everybody, but at the end of the day, if you go to school and you find something that you love to do, who knows? You know, we always need more. Um, we need more doctors. We need more lawyers. Heck, we need more Bill Gates. We need more creators, you know, <laughs> and that, you know, you don't have to just limit yourself to just sports. You know, there's plenty of the opportunities in life that you can you can go through and, you know, resources and avenues that you can go on. Like, I'm ready to see the first black um, astronaut, you know, so just trying to, you know, encourage these guys and these kids, you know, to just go back and just find whatever you love. And, you know, that, you know, that football isn't the only resource. Just a couple more minutes here with Las Vegas Raiders safety Jonathan Abram here on LA Gridiron Weekly on 710 ESPN. You know, Jonathan, if there's one piece of advice you can give to the youth, what's that message that you try to preach to them? Just stick with it. That's my biggest thing. You know, most kids, they get discouraged, you know, for certain things. And then, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, coming from certain areas. You know, kids don't have the resources. But if you just stick with it, you never know. You never know what the end goal looks like. You never know what the finish line or what's awaiting you at the finish line. And Jonathan, we're just a couple weeks away, man. Training camp is right around the corner. And yes. you'll get back out there and get ready to contend, like you mentioned, for that Super Bowl title that'll be uh, played down here in Los Angeles. But as you prepare and get ready for this next training camp, like just just tell me about the uh, just just the, the the future that you think for this football team this season. What's the forecast for Raiders football for 2021? Forecast for this year, we're going to make the playoffs. Mm. We're going to make the playoffs and we're going to compete for a chance to win a national to win. I mean, I said the national, the world <laughs> title. I mean, still thinking I'm in college. Hey. <laughs> no, nah, I hear you, man. I hear you. Well, look, Jonathan, look from one Raider former Raider to a current Raider, but always Raider Nation, Raiders for life, man. I appreciate the time. And look, um, again, best of luck this season. And congrats again on the camp today, man. I know the kids are going to have a blast. Thank you for everything that you do, man. And we'll catch up soon. I appreciate you. (laughs) That was Raider safety. Jonathan Abram here on LA Gridiron Weekly. More coming up next. 
Appreciate you all on the uh, ride with me today here on LA Gridiron Weekly. Got those uh, safety belts buckled up as we navigate the National Football League. Go navigate the college ranks in just a little bit. About 12 minutes, Adam Grossbard of the OC Register. He's the USC beat writer. Can't wait to talk to him. See what's going on over in uh, over in USC territory as they get ready for their fall camp as well. High expectations for the Trojans, also for the Bruins as well. Chip Kelly, get this thing rolling. We'll see what's going on over there in Westwood. But uh, LA Gridiron Weekly would not be complete unless we had an update on the latest saga, the new drama that should be, uh, it's just a television show. We watch it every single day. It's the update on Aaron Rodgers, right? I swear, it seems like it's an update. It's a show. It's like, what is it? As the world turns, give me all your best soap opera name. That's all I remember. Is that is that still as the word the world turns? That's still a show. I haven't watched soaps in so long, but my granny, that was one of her things. Yeah, Days of Our Lives. Yes, that was one definitely. Days of Our Lives. As the world turns, those are two that I remember. There could be more out there. If you want to, let me know. Eight seven 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 ten ESPN. Eight seven seven. Oh man, Whew, I cannot wait. Seven one zero three seven seven six. Um Adam Schefter talked about it this week. That um yeah, Aaron Rodgers probably doesn't want to be a Packer. Here's Adam Schefter this week, ESPN NFL Insider. We also continue to wait for an answer from one Aaron Rodgers, who very easily could have dismissed all the speculation that's going on around him with a simple statement of, I'll see you at training camp or I'll be there on opening day. And instead we haven't gotten that because the fact of the matter is the truth is he doesn't want to be in green Bay. He hasn't planned to be back in green Bay. Now we'll see whether the Packers and him can come up with some sort of compromise that can lure him back there. But I don't believe, and I think Aaron Rodgers knows this, that he wants to be back there nor plans to be back there at this time. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Well, guess what, everybody? We are 10 days away. 10 days away. That First of all, that was Adam Schefter, by the way, on the Adam Schefter podcast from this Wednesday. But we are 10 days away. Today, July 17th. The Green Bay Packers report date, July 27th. That's when it gets real. Because that's when everybody has to report. And if Aaron Rodgers is not at training camp on July 27th, now days of our lives as the world turns, yes, oh yeah, it is now Aaron Rodgers' watch. So we have 10 days, folks, 10 days to realize, I mean, to figure out what is going to happen. So the speculation will be ongoing, but we'll know by July 27th, is he there? Is he not there? One Hall of Fame quarterback thinks he knows the answer. Here's Warren Moon, Pro Football Hall of Famer. He was on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin this week. 
I think he's going to play uh, Keyshawn only because this this guy is still a competitor. He's an ultra competitor. He's 38 years old. He doesn't have that many years left to, to be sitting around, sitting out a season. And I really think the Green Bay Packers still give him the best chance to win uh, a Super Bowl of all the teams that he would have a chance to go to because everybody keeps talking about maybe he goes to the Denver Broncos because they have a, a pretty good team on paper. But what you'd have to give up to get him, you're going to give up some of that good football team. So I, I don't know if they're as good a team once you uh, you get a guy like like Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers, 37 years old. He'll be 38 on December 2nd. He'll be 38 then. So still some good years left for Aaron Rodgers, and we'll see what happens. So that is our Aaron Rodgers update here on L.A. Gridiron Weekly. But a guy who, uh, former general manager in the National Football um and look Mike Tenenbaum he's the ESPN NFL front office insider he was on get up this week and a lot of people think that the gap between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Rams Chargers Broncos in the AFC West is actually closing I for one I for one Kirk Morrison do not believe that I say it's blasphemy no way because when I rank the AFC West, I have the Kansas City Chiefs at one. I have the Raiders and Chargers at 3A and 3B. And fourth, I have the Denver Broncos. I don't even have a team at two, right? I just look, the Chargers and Raiders, y'all figure it out at three. All right, y'all, 3A, 3B. You maybe even can move up to 3C if you're the Denver Broncos, right? But that's the way I see it. It's still a clear gap to me. In the AFC West. Could that change this year? Possibly. But I look at the Kansas City Chiefs and tell me they're supposed to be bad this year. No, they upgraded their offensive line. It's a team that was in the Super Bowl last year. They said, we have to protect Patrick Mahomes. Did you see what happened in the Super Bowl? And what did they do? They went out. They got some protection for him. But I think Mike Tannenbaum, our ESPN NFL front office insider, I think he may disagree with me. Here's Mike Tannenbaum. The tape sets the floor, the character sets the ceiling. He is a high ceiling player, great work ethic. And last year, the Chargers were 31st in the NFL in pass protection. So they added three linemen in terms of two in uh, free agency. They added one in the draft for Sean Slater from Northwestern. So with an improved offensive line, a healthy number of weapons, they have closed the gap, in my opinion, dramatically to the Chiefs. I think they can compete this year for the playoffs, and I don't think there's a big gap between the two. Oh, the Tannenbaum doesn't believe there's a big gap between the Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs. I know Damian Woody, um, and everybody's so high on this. And look, I, I'm just always pump your brakes. The one thing that I'm going to always be truthful with you guys, I don't throw bouquets out. I don't throw, like, congratulatory, like, I don't build guys up like that. Now, you have to earn it. Earn it from me. And I learned from a lot of my veteran players, not just in the NFL, but also in the NBA. Veteran guys who I really look up to. And I didn't understand it because I saw players playing well. And I remember, you know, a couple of Hall of Fame players, especially in the NBA, I was like, man, what what you think about this guy, man? Like he's, you know, up and coming. He says, up and coming is not good enough. I'm a Hall of Famer for a reason. Because I played at a level over a period of time, a long period of time, each and every year, consistency. That's what Hall of Famers are, right? When you think of Hall of Fame players, you think of consistency. 
you don't think of oh they had one great year and so i i push back a lot when it comes to justin herbert and the chargers i just push back he had a phenomenal rookie season a rookie season that saw him be offensive rookie of the year but now i think it's getting a little full overblown now where people want to elevate justin herbert after one season which his team didn't have a record over 500 had a losing record and yet everybody wants to elevate him our own damian woody espn nfl analyst was on first take he believes justin herbert is the top five quarterback here's damian woody I think Justin Herbert by the end of this year is going to be a top five quarterback. Yeah, I do. Mm. I think Justin, I think Justin Herbert is going to be a top five quarterback in this league by, by the end of this 2021 season. I listen. Think about this for a second. The guy had no offseason last year. None. Zero. First game of the year. Tyrod Taylor gets a bad injection right right before pregame, and then Justin Herbert has to come in without even being getting all the starters reps in that week leading up to the game. And all he did was light it up. And he never looked back since. All he did was throw for 4,300 yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Okay? Then you look at what the Los Angeles Chargers have added to help this young man. They went out there and got two offensive linemen, which was a big issue for the Los Angeles Chargers. Guys, I, 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 think, I think Justin Herbert is going to be a superstar. I know Hmm. Top five, though? Top five? Out of 32 NFL teams, 32 quarterbacks that will start this season, top five? No, Damian Woody, stop. Top five? Over Russell Wilson? Patrick Mahomes? Josh Allen? Hmm. I got I, th- th- those are my top three right now. I didn't even I haven't even said Aaron Rodgers' name because I don't know if he's playing or not. Right? Look around the league. We elevating Justin Herbert to top five already after one season. Psh, man, please come on now. Let's be real. Is Justin Herbert a top five quarterback already? Get your thoughts on that. Eight seven 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 ten ESPN eight seven seven. Seven one zero three seven seven six. Whoa, y'all got me going this morning. Come on, Damian Woody, a top five? <laughs> I don't know about that one, but I do know one thing: is that college football will be starting up as well. Justin Herbert, former Oregon quarterback, that's where he uh put his work in, and he was selected by the Chargers. Uh, the guy right now in the college ranks here in Los Angeles, Keaton Slovis going on year three could this be his final year at usc some people are saying if he has a great season he could be one of those top first round quarterbacks in the 2022 nfl draft well we will see with this usc season but my guy adam grossbard he's the oc register beat reporter for the usc trojans he's going to join la gridiron weekly coming up next Yes, indeed. Welcome back in L.A. Gridiron Weekly here on a Saturday. Having so much fun, man. But we turn our attention. So much NFL talk because I know NFL training camps are on the way. I get it. I get it, everybody. We got to get our college talk in, too. And when we talk college here in Los Angeles, it's only two teams that we can really talk about. Obviously, we know 
It's USC and UCLA. But today we're going to take the USC approach. And the guy who's going to help me with that is a USC beat writer for the OC Register. He is Adam Grossbart of the OC Register. Adam, man, first of all, appreciate the time. I'm trying to figure out where I want to start when it comes to USC football, Adam, because look, last year, a season was a COVID season. They made the Pac-12 championship game, didn't win the Pac-12 championship game. And now they go into a season having lost a lot of guys to the NFL, to graduation, and also to transfer. So right now, Adam, give me your state of the USC address for 2021. It's going to be an interesting year. I I mean, it feels like every year you go into it and it feels like, is this the, is this the make or break year for Clay Helton? And it definitely feels like that um, going into it. Uh, Keaton Slovis is going to be a junior. He's got a lot of talented options around him, like Drake London at receiver. Uh, The defensive line has a lot of really talented faces with Drake Jackson and Corey Foreman coming in from Corona Centennial as the number one rated recruit in the country. Um, so they've got talent. They got a lot of talent. Um, there are some question marks about whether or not, you know, they have the offensive line that can make it through a 12 game season. I mean, it's a tough schedule, but it does feel like the PAC 12 is in a bit of a transition year. So, you know, it feels like for this USC team, it's really like a Rose Bowl or bust type of year. Oh, absolutely. Rose Bowl or bust. I think you start to look at the Pac-12 in general, and I can go, we'll get back to USC in a minute because you brought the Pac-12 and I am a you know big fan of the Pac-12, even though I played in the Mountain West, but because I cover so many games for the Pac-12, I feel like sometimes I'm trying to carry the torch for them, get the more notoriety because you mentioned it. They don't have a lot of opportunity to get the eyeballs of the country to mm-hmm. fall in love with Pac-12 football. And so you lose a game or two and everybody's, you know, you're out of the college football playoff race. So with that being said, it comes down to me to an Oregon, a USC. What does the Pac-12 need to do in your opinion from just covering the Pac-12? What do they need to do in order to get everybody excited about the Pac-12 as a true contender for a college football playoff? They need to send some very highly caffeinated coffee to some East coast media types. Yes. Um, but I, I mean, beyond that, I think last year was an interesting experiment with the 9am kickoffs. I don't think that's sustainable with fans in the stadium, but right. you start looking at more like, you know, one o'clock or even four o'clock kickoffs for USC and Oregon, instead of trying to, you know, fit them into the seven thirty Pacific time start, you know, do you try to give them more of a national stage where you can get, I mean, that's tricky because then you have to, you know, try to maneuver in there in light of other teams that have those spots in different parts of the country. So that's like, you know, it's easier said than done. Um, it's definitely going to be a challenge for the new commissioner, but um, I, I think that, and just need some really big statement wins early in the season. Um, can USC beat Notre Dame? That would do a huge, a huge amount of work in terms of raising the profile of the conference. That being said, I think it's just going to kind of have to come down to when that playoff expansion happens. Yeah. I don't really know if they can crack it unless they have like an undefeated season and a lot of other teams across the country take L's. No, you're, I think you're, you're 100%. 
you got to wait to expansion before they think the Pac-12 can really join the party. And look, they're not the only conference. I think there's some other conferences who are saying the same thing, especially the group of fives as mm-hmm. well. He's Adam Grossbard. He's a writer for the US, for the OC register, USC beat writer in particular. And Adam, I think the, the, the thing about USC now, as they get into this space where, you know, a lot of people feel that Clay Helton has been here long enough that he's on the hot seat. It seems like Clay Helton's been on the hot seat since he's taken over as head coach. When it's in the interim now, as a full-time head coach. Right. But you mentioned it. Is a Rose Bowl berth good enough right now for this team? Because, they look, they've made it to conference championships. Now, they got to win, but is it just a Rose Bowl berth good enough? What, what would excite the fan base for USC when it comes to Clay Helton this season, maybe outside of a college football playoff berth? I mean, the USC fan base is just so against him. It's really kind of, it's just very toxic right now. Like if you, you know, they tweeted out like a video of the USC players um, singing happy birthday to Clay, but they turned off replies because they knew what would happen if they allowed people to reply to the tweet. It's just very, very toxic um, with the (laughs) fan base. I I don't think anything short of a national champ, like even a Rose Bowl title, like doesn't change that conversation. Um, you need a national championship to change that. And I don't know if they have the roster to do that this year. I'm pretty sure they do not have the roster to do that this year. Let me clarify. But that being said, you know, every coaching decision is a super political one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to weigh how much will the alumni rebel if you keep or fire a coach. You have to weigh you know, is this coach getting in the way of recruiting? All those things. Right now, USC is recruiting at a really high level. And if Clay Helton leads USC to the Rose Bowl, win or not, but if he wins the Pac-12 title and gets USC to the Rose Bowl, that's not going to look very good to other coaches if USC fires their head coach after a season like that. So if you get to the Rose Bowl, I mean, your job's safe. Like, Politically, like no coach is going to want to work for an athletic director who fires a team that won their conference and went to the Rose Bowl. Like it's just not going to happen. So I think that's really if USC is going to continue with Clay, that's like really the bar that needs to be cleared is making the Rose Bowl and winning the Pac 12. Yeah, I know a guy who's going to have a major influence in terms of if this team goes to the Rose Bowl or not, is their quarterback, starting quarterback, Keaton Slovis. Now, Keaton, obviously some injury uh, history from last year, but a lot of the quarterbacks behind him have either now graduated, gone on to the uh, other pastures, transfer portals. Behind him is Jackson Dart. Now, a name that a lot of people are starting to hear a lot of. Mm -hmm. So I'm going into this season, Keaton Slovis could either be really good and find his way into the NFL draft or he could be a quarterback that could be buried on the depth chart if things don't go his way. What must Keaton Slovis prove in the early part of the season that he's the starter for the rest of the year? I think that job's pretty secure. He's a junior. Um, He knows the offense really well. Graham Harrell really likes him, the offensive coordinator. Clay really likes him. I think that's a pretty safe job. Jackson is really interesting. He's a really dynamic talent. I think he accounted for like 70 total touchdowns as a senior, which is just unheard of. I think he ran for like 20 and threw 50. It's crazy. And won a state championship at Utah's highest level. So he's really, really talented. And he does things that Keaton can't do in terms of running on the ground and stuff like that. 
you know, he gives them an option, which like they haven't really had an option offense with um, Keaton. That being said, if Keaton's healthy, uh, which by all accounts he is, he doesn't necessarily in spring, he didn't look like his freshman year self the same way he didn't look like that during his sophomore season after he took that elbow injury in the holiday bowl um, in after his freshman year. So I don't know like if he's going to return to those heights as a freshman, but even if he doesn't, putting a true freshman like Jackson behind the USC offensive line, which lost uh, two first round picks in the last two years um, is a really tall order. If anyone's got the confidence and swagger to do it, it's Jackson Dart. Like that kid is just oozing confidence. It's really cool to watch him during practice. Um, that being said, I would be surprised if anyone is challenging Keaton for that starting job. He's Adam Grossbart. He's the USC beat reporter for the OC Register, joining LA Gridiron Weekly. You can follow him, a great follow on Twitter as well, at Adam Grossbart. And look, we haven't talked defense yet. Todd Orlando, defensive coordinator, bringing some of that swagger back to USC. You mentioned a couple of guys defensively forming. Obviously, Drake Jackson will be another name that we hear about a lot. Is there another guy on the defense that we should be talking a lot about with some departures for guys going to the NFL, but some guys who will play a key role in that defense for Todd Orlando? I think the um, big guy who they're really going to need a lot out of this year is uh, Alabama transfer Ishmael Softser. Okay. Um, he he seems like the real deal. He's a big dude. 330 pounds. Uh, he missed spring ball uh, due to uh, surgery, but he's expected to be back for the fall. And that would be a big, big pickup there at the defensive tackle position after losing Marlon Tuipiloto and uh, Jay Tufele uh, this past year. Um, another big one is going to be at safety. He's not a newcomer, but USC is looking for him to take you know another step in his evolution, and that's Isaiah Polamau. After losing Talanoa Hufunga this past year, uh, Isaiah is going to be asked to do a little bit more. He's going to be asked to be a little bit more of a leader at, on defense, uh, which is kind of odd to say, given that he was a captain last year. But he's just going to be asked to do a little bit more on the field. And sometimes he might even have to move down to nickel. He was doing that during spring practices due to injuries on the nickel after Max Williams's injury, uh, season-ending season ACL tear. And Isaiah is really, really fun to watch at that nickel position because he can really blitz off the edge. Uh, he's the nephew of Troy Palomalu. Yeah. So he's got a little bit of that when he's coming off the edge, he's impossible to block. He makes really good decisions in the backfield. Um, you know, he's not going to be jumping over offensive linemen or anything like <laughs> right. that, Troy, but he's, I think we could see him take the next step this year. Couple more minutes here with Adam Grossbart of the OC Register, USC beat writer. Uh, number one is anything uh, when it comes to the name, image, likeness so far coming out of USC. You know, there's been a big talk around college sports with players now being able to monetize off their name, image, and likeness. Has you have you seen anything from the USC football players that uh, could garner maybe a, a, a an endorsement deal so far, or is it still something that's uh, yet to come? Yeah, we've seen some guys uh, join Yoke, which is a uh, Notre Dame player, a former Notre Dame walk-on started a company where you can play video games with athletes. Um, and that's been a pretty popular one across the country so far. And Michael Jackson III, a young receiver on USC, yeah. signed up for that. Uh, I think Jalen McKenzie on the offensive line uh, linked up with a fashion company, which is pretty interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that guy's got some swag and style, so it made a little bit of sense <laughs> to me. Um, nothing too major, though. I think it's tough. Like everyone was talking about how LA, you know, being in a big market gives you those yeah. opportunities, but I'm not totally sure that that's proven to be the case. I mean, you're seeing a lot more. I forget what school was. I think it was Arkansas, um, where a local restaurant signed all five offensive linemen. Yeah. <laughs> which, like, that's a no brainer, but you just don't have that at USC being in such a big market in LA, where if you're Fayetteville or other small Southern towns, like, you're going to get a lot more of those opportunities. Um, so it'll be interesting. I also think we haven't really seen the big name guys go after it yet. We haven't seen Keaton Slovis do anything. We haven't seen Drake London, uh, Drake Jackson, Corey Foreman. It's all been pretty quiet. And those are probably the most marketable guys on the team. Chris Steele, too, uh, cornerback from modern day. I'm sorry, from Bosco. <laughs> yeah, you better get that right. Big, big distinction. Yeah. The Trinity, um, they're going, they're going, they're going to be coming after you, Adam. You better I stop know, it. Especially after that <laughs> Long Beach. My goodness. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just haven't seen anything too major yet. And I'm wondering, because USC really did a lot to prepare itself in that regard. Right. It signed up with like a studio to try to create new things. One interesting thing is the basketball team, every single player has a custom logo created for them. Oh, uh, wow. Which is, really unique. Uh, the one I really love is uh, Reese Waters. Uh, it, it, they just have a W that looks like waves. It's really cool. Uh-huh. Um, so they're they're doing things, but they just haven't broken through in like a eye-catching way just yet. Got you. And then last one, just, uh, just having a Coliseum full with fans. Is there an expectation of what fans uh, the expectation of I mean, uh, capacity in terms of how many fans you think will be will be coming out. I mean, obviously, COVID has impacted capacity around the country, but, you know, USC has had a decline in, in attendance of recent. What's the expectation for 2021? I mean, it's going to be open to full capacity. I mean, even when it was open to full capacity in 2019, it was probably operating more 70 to 75 percent. I think that's probably a good estimate for what you're going to expect. I'm excited for it, though, because like it was really weird being in the Coliseum when it was empty because they only have the one speaker to the west end of the stadium over by the big video board. Right. So you're sitting there and they have some play happens and you hear the artificial cheering, but it's all coming from one direction of the stadium. (laughs) It's just super weird. No surround sound or anything. So I'm really looking forward to like getting that real college football atmosphere for that San Jose state game for the season opener. Yeah, we cannot wait, man. I can't wait. But I uh, appreciate you, man, coming here on L.A. Gridiron Weekly. Can't wait to see a lot of your coverage of USC football as we approach fall camp. And you mentioned that first game against San Jose State, man. Appreciate the time today, Adam. Thank you, Kirk. And that's Adam Grossbart. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Grossbart from the OC Register USC beat writer. More L.A. Gridiron Weekly coming up next. Mm, 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 mm. Man, what a great show today. Wow. L.A. Gridiron Weekly here on 710 ESPN. You know, we started off with the Richard Sherman. And if you missed that first couple segments, man, it was fire, man. Shout out to everybody who called in 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. I mean, that was a a good conversation we had about Richard Sherman. And, you know, for those who uh, came or joined the program a little later, 
um, today. Uh, Richard Sherman was arrested on Wednesday um, after he crashed his car in a construction zone in Seattle and he tried to break into his in-laws home. Now, he was, uh, you know, taken into custody uh, by police after having been subdued by a uh, a police dog. But Richard Sherman um, uh, had an incident and it was one that definitely took the National Football League by surprise and. I want to read uh, Richard Sherman's statement uh, one more time. He released a statement uh, about what took place on many social, uh, many of his social sites. And here's Richard Sherman, as I quote here, I am deeply remorseful for my actions on Tuesday night. I behaved in a manner and I'm not proud of. I have been dealing with some personal challenges over the last several months, but that is not an excuse for how I acted. The importance of mental and emotional health is extremely real, and I vow to get the help I need. I appreciate all of the people who have reached out in support of me and my family, including our community here in Seattle. I am grateful to have such an amazing wife, family, and support systems to lean on during this time. Now, Richard Sherman, he pleaded not guilty to five misdemeanor charges. Um, but the judge agreed to allow Richard Sherman to remain free on his own recognizance and his next scheduled court date is a pretrial hearing on August 13th for the, uh, for the five, um, like I mentioned, misdemeanor charges two domestic violence counts in terms of criminal trespass and the malicious mischief, uh, mischief. And then the bigger ones, I think the resisting arrest, uh, driving while under the influence and the reckless endangerment of roadway workers so yes that is going to be sort of the topic of conversation over the next couple weeks as you know richard sherman um could be a piece that we talked about earlier could be a final piece for a team out there nfc west i i believe um it could be another team out there and people are going to say well we saw richard sherman he was getting burned and uh against the kansas city chiefs in the super bowl and all that I said, Richard Sherman is not, you're not going to get the Richard of Sherman. Uh, you're not going to get the, I'm sorry. You're not going to get the Richard Sherman of the Legion of Boom. You're going to get the Richard Sherman of right now, which is a guy who's going to come in and bring in great leadership, who can play his position. And look, you may have to have a safety nearby, but he still plays at a high level. Now he just got beat up on a couple routes, but that's okay. That happens. But I still think Richard Sherman is a good football player. Has he played his last down in the National Football League? Does this incident put a lot of people on pause about bringing in Richard Sherman? We shall see. But you know what? It's time to get to that two-minute drill. It's time for the two-minute drill on L.A. Gridiron Weekly. The two-minute drill. Stories that you may have missed this week. I think one of the big stories around here in Los Angeles the Rams will debut a new alternate jersey. Yes, we talked about it last week. Tutu Atwell had an Instagram post, and it had this white jersey with the yellow, uh, blue, or the gold and blue horns on the sleeves. And it looked like a Rams jersey of old, but yet a new touch. And sure enough, the Los Angeles Rams will have a new alternate jersey. It looks pretty darn sweet it takes what they say the uh the look of the old but yet a futuristic look 
of the new. And I tell you this, it is one of the better jerseys that I've seen around the National Football League. So we'll see how many times the Rams get a chance to wear that. I believe every time that they play in prime time, especially at SoFi. So we know the three uh, games at SoFi, uh, sorry, two games that they'll be playing at SoFi under the lights. Obviously, one against the Chicago Bears in week one. And then you also have the game uh, against the Tennessee Titans. So we'll get a chance to see these jerseys this season. And look, man, they are pretty sweet. I cannot wait to watch them. But what a great show, man. We had Jonathan Abram on safety for the Las Vegas Raiders. Shout out to him and his football camp. Adam Grossbart, he's the OC registered beat writer for the USC Trojans. Outstanding job that he did talking about the Trojans, getting us all caught up but man this show would not be possible as always my guy steve palette he's our engineer my guy jesse lopez is the producer uh as always this is la gridiron weekly with kirk morrison here on 710 espn